This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Mariana Kaplan. Mariana is a counselor, professor of yogic and transpersonal psychologies, and the author of six books in the fields of psychology and spirituality, including the highly respected book, Halfway Up the Mountain, on premature claims to enlightenment. She attributes the majority of her education and inspiration to years of research and practice in the world's great mystical traditions and to living in the villages of India, Central and South America, and Europe. Which sounds true, Mariana has recently released the book, Eyes Wide Open, cultivating discernment on the spiritual path, as well as a new book, The Guru Question, The Perils and Rewards of Choosing a Spiritual Teacher. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Mariana and I spoke about what to look for and what to avoid in choosing a spiritual teacher. And does everyone even need a spiritual teacher? We also spoke about the importance of tradition and lineage as a source of protection and the entire arena of what she calls conscious discipleship or what it means to be a great student. Here's my conversation with Mariana Kaplan. Mariana, I'm excited to talk with you about the guru question, your new book from Sounds True, a topic that is very dear to me and interesting and intriguing and endlessly complex. And I want to begin with a question that I'm asked over and over and over by Sounds True listeners, and I would really like to know where you land on this question, which is people are very frequently asking Do I actually need a spiritual teacher, a guru, you could say, in today's world? It's a different world than it was hundreds, thousands of years ago. There's so many books and CDs. There's so many ways to learn. Now, you call this in your book, The Guru Question, the Ramana Maharshi argument. This is how you frame it, because Ramana Maharshi was a great 20th century teacher who himself didn't have a living teacher. And I think in our day today, we could call it the Eckhart Tolle argument. I mean, this is the argument that sounds true listeners are making. Eckhart Tolle seems to be a highly realized person who did not have a teacher. Why do I have to have one? Where do you land on this question? Do I need a teacher? Well, where I land on all questions related to the subject, or most of them, we would say, which is different than how I would have talked about this 10 years ago, and I really mean this, and I'm sure the theme will come up throughout our conversation, is that there is definitely not one thing that could be said about everybody's path, or even the vast majority of, of my, I guess we're going on 20 years of formal practice, research, writing in this field, if anything has shifted, it's... Uh, a righteousness, even about perspective, a certainty about how each individual spiritual life should go, 
so I'll, I'll say more about it, but, but that's not just a qualifier or a platitude. It's actually how I've come to, to see the spiritual path. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the most, most significant shift from my earlier writing, which was always accessible, but, but usually had a big or, big or small axe to grind about some way that people weren't seeing the path clearly. So having said that, um, if if we assume that we're going to be as much of an exception as Eckhart Tolle or Ramana Maharshi, then then we might want to argue that we don't need guidance and help on the path. But but that's a very dangerous thing to assume, right? There's a lot of powerful, charismatic people with strong political views, but not that many of them get to become the president. Right? There's passionate people who who want to work for humankind and they're brilliant and they went to Harvard and they're well connected and, and they're still not going to become the president or even a senator. Right? So 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 not only are there hundreds of thousands of conscious spiritual aspirants in the world, but then there's the rest of humankind who's also on a spiritual path whether conscious or unconscious. And a very select handful of those people have had spontaneous awakenings that that seem to last and deepen over several decades. Who knows, one in a million? So it's it's pretty dangerous to to presume that we're going to fall into that category. And and you know, I spent time in in Tirvanamalai in South India when I was a young woman and in the town where Ramana Maharshi had his ashram, and there was there was all the, these people walking around, and they're still there, just repeating the inquiry question that that Ramana Maharshi repeated, "Who am I?" and and having deep insight and equivocating this with Ramana Maharshi's state of awakening. And and another surprising piece about this that that people seem to forget. In the case of Ramana Maharshi, for example, he had a spontaneous awakening, and then he spent 26 years integrating it before he started to teach. So, so then we're back to a question, do I need a teacher? Well, it, it really is going to depend on where we're starting from. A whole set of our karmic variables, our whole set of, of psychological developments, and and so so many variables that it's going to be hard to say what exactly is true for for anybody else. I would say that that if we aspire to deeply develop on the spiritual path and really reach into the farthest possibilities of the development and integration of our consciousness, that without the sustained long term help of a very good teacher or maybe maybe a couple along the way we're we're probably not going to find our way we're going to need to immerse deeply in practice and tradition and most likely very very intelligent guidance along the way so it's unclear what the statistic might be a teacher that i greatly respect ah almas said in an interview one in 10,000 people can find their way without a teacher. And there's a quote here from your book, The Guru Question, where you're quoting Robert Ennis, 
The chances of someone awakening without a teacher are like the chances of getting pregnant without a partner. The spiritual teacher is the partner that is necessary for spiritual birth. Not too many immaculate conceptions happen. So this is very, very strong language, both from Robert Ennis and from A.H. Alness, and also in your answer here, Mariana, that, you know, I mean, used a number like one in a million. We don't know the odds. I'm not trying to make this mathematical. But why is it? What is the role that the teacher plays that is so critical that it could, could be compared to something like a sexual partner for giving birth to a child? Well, I think that the primary function of, of, of a spiritual teacher, or one of them, and, you know, I, I detail I detail all of my reflections on this in the book, but but like any of these great topics, all the perceptions are continuing to develop. But the primary function of the spiritual teacher is, is going to be transmission. There's a, a beautiful yogic, yogic saying, and, and it says, light, light my lamp from your lamp, O great guru. Remove the darkness covering my heart. And as you go into these teachings, teaching is basically that that the spark of awakening or enlightenment or whatever we're going to call it is is fully present in every human being but it's dormant and and basically by putting ourselves in the presence of of more awakened company in the presence of somebody who's carrying the energy of 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 a lineage that you know, in many cases, like your lineage or mine, is thousands of years old. It's it's simply using it's it's really like taking a match, right, onto onto these these dried embers and and lighting them. And there's the fire, and and right, the fire the fire is is available, but it but it's going to need to be not only awakened and lit, but also guided. So when we're dealing with with the complexities of 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 the soul's unfolding without guidance, right? It's, it's invisible, it's imperceptible. If we didn't know better, we might even question whether it was real or not. But we're dealing with the most invisible, refined, eternal, vast, specific, complex, possibility for a human being and and not only to 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 awaken that fire but 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 to but to guide it as it as it as it grows and and as it burns away any number of of misperceptions it it seems so so natural to me right why would we want to just kind of stumble into a field of matches and let this fire blaze all over burning burning who knows what in its in its wake so so there's the there's the transmission and there's the guidance there's the the benefit of a lineage comprised of usually thousands and thousands of practitioners who have been doing practice and and contributing to that and learning from it and learning from the errors of practice I just I couldn't imagine a, particularly like a young a young seeker new to the path with with deep aspiration not choosing to 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 benefit from from wise company and guidance 
unless there was just none available. And now, as you mentioned, we, we live in the world of sounds true. Almost anywhere, somebody can, can at least gain access to, to the guidance of the people that come before them. You know, I can definitely imagine someone listening who says, you know, I'm all in favor of wise company and guidance, but I don't really want to enter a formal teacher-student relationship. I like reading these books. That's guidance. That's, you know, important uh, wise counsel. I can even receive transmission from the lectures that I go to with various teachers. I'm in the field, but I don't want to formalize that relationship in any way and call someone my capital T teacher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can understand that, honestly. And 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 for the people listening and benefiting from from a podcast like this or the, or, or the books, I, I don't actually think that 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 ne- somebody necessarily needs to or should. Right? We're talking about why would somebody want to do that? So I think that that there's great people. I mean. Most of my friends, I would say, that, that I choose to spend my life with and, and the you know, very kind of conscious community that I live in, I have never chose to, to take on a spiritual teacher. And, and they study and they, they practice ethical living and teach their children well. And, and honestly, I have full, full respect for that. And some people feel the need to to pursue their their soul's development with with a, another level of vigor they they want they want to give their life to it they want it to be uh the 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 central possibility of of their of their incarnation of their life and they're taking it really seriously and in order to optimize that possibility there's probably going to be some periods of you know some periods meaning who knows ten years twenty years five years maybe but probably more of of much deeper guidance and immersion. Uh, one of my one of my spiritual friends and and just beloved brothers and mentors over the years is is, is Llewellyn Von Lee the Sufi master and and I remember in in a teaching he did many years ago. He was talking about, I think it was the 12 levels of initiation on the spiritual path. Maybe it was 13. And he was talking about how for, for the first several levels of initiation, you can actually do it on your own. And that there's a, a certain point where you want to, to, to keep going into much greater depth. And, and at that point, we need the help of a teacher but again, Tammy, like if, if we make it really current, I think you and I both both agree that we are in a changing world. We're in a changing world and and and, and all of these questions are, are ever new. Yeah, and I really I appreciate that and I appreciate your openness even in having the dialogue by I mean, you began by saying that you weren't going to, you know, invest in any one sole perspective for all time. But I mean, I might really see this differently in a year, and that's the development of my path. For the first ten or twelve years, I didn't really see it that differently, and 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 then at a certain point in my development, it it really it really opened up, you know, much to the criticism of of many of the people 
that I lived in spiritual community with. And and I, I, I not only believe my perspective may be different in five years, but I hope it will be. I hope I keep... I keep learning, and I hope to continue to have the good fortune because of what I write. You know, people just, I receive in, in my work the chance to, to counsel and guide countless practitioners, and you really do hear more stories and more perspectives. And I want to be grown by that. And I want, if, 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 if our world is evolving, which we, we seem to be, you know, thinking that it is, I want to be open to that and, and moved by that and serving that. So, so in a book like The Guru Question or Eyes Wide Open last year, I want to you know, passionately and clearly articulate the terrain and the questions and the potholes of the questions and the unconscious parts of the questions so that people can, can take those questions for themselves and live into really, really effective responses in their lives. And I'm really satisfied with that with that function and kind of privileged to do that work and more interested in doing that than, than being a, a spiritual teacher. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just how I feel. Yeah. So I'm, I, I love the questions. And I'll, I'm, I actually, somehow I was asked to do a, a blog this morning for, for, um, for Integral and I, they hadn't asked me to do anything. And I was thinking, oh, what will I do while I was lying in bed nursing my baby and and I was thinking that when I was, uh, because my junior year in college, we I went to live in the woods to learn to live deliberately and get three credits for it, you know, with this with this Emerson Thoreau course. And we 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 engaged in this activity called marsh mucking. And the actual activity is that we went with these really tall boots up to our thighs, and we we walked into a mucky muddy swamp and explored. And uh, I was thinking about that this morning because that that's that's for me the the territory that I that I work in in spiritual life. And I find it so inspiring <laughs> because that's where most of us live. Mhm. That's where most of us live. Yeah. Now Mariana, let's say someone's listening and they're somebody who has not yet been attracted to or met or decided upon a spiritual teacher, but there's something in them that feels fluttery when you say, when you're really interested in going deeper, a more rigorous part, making spirituality the center of your life. And they're thinking to themselves, you know, perhaps maybe I do need a teacher. Maybe I need to, you know, get over whatever my judgments and fears and concerns are, et cetera, et cetera. So to begin with, in terms of addressing this person, what would you say are the the most important qualities that they could look for and then also be sure to avoid in this quest for a spiritual teacher? Mm-hmm. So in order to answer that, I'll, I'll place myself in those shoes today. And Probably the first thing that I would look for is is somebody that was connected to a tradition, and I know that not everybody agrees on that. But but I would want the protection of of a tradition and a lineage. So at least that my teacher had a connection that that was was hopefully healthy and not estranged from her or his teacher 
you know, ideally that teacher, that there's some connection to a lineage, whether it was uh, a formal lineage like Tibetan Buddhism or Sufism or the yogic path or Judaism or Christianity, or maybe it's even a, a more contemporary tradition like you mentioned, Almas, whose work I, I have tremendous respect for, who also had a teacher. So I would want I would want the protection of a lineage. I'd be very interested in the teacher's track record. Now let's just pause. Let's just unpack sure. this a little bit. When you say the protection of a lineage, and you're using this word protection, how do you think a lineage provides protection? I think a lineage provides protection both because we're not trying to recreate the wheel in 2010, you know, or if the teacher's been enlightened for two years in 2008. People have been doing this for, for a long time. I mean, these are, these are experiments that, that may need to be modernized and integrated into a contemporary world. But these are, these are people have been working with the, with the methods and the practices of the soul's development for a long, long time. And I would want the benefit of you know, whether it's 200 or 1,000 or 3,000 years of, of refinement of practice on the one hand, and also that, that my teacher had, had also been benefited by, by rigorous guidance, feedback, and input from, from her, his teacher, and most likely a, a community of practitioners. I, I think that there's right the the whole system. We, you and I were talking about this recently when, when, when we were dialoguing about the, the, guru and sangha and dharma or the some some form of teacher and teachings and community, and it's whether whether we're in Buddhism or Judaism or Christianity, we keep seeing that that actually that system of checks and balances is is put in place in in all the great traditions for a reason. You have you have a body you have a body of teachings and you have a teacher and you have a community of practitioners, and and there's a lot of there's a lot of protection from. Oh, this is the new great evolutionary dharma, and I'm the new great evolutionary leader. You know, come with me onto the edge of consciousness. And there's a lot of protection by the community of practitioners, so that when we when we veer and 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 get get lost there's protection from from the teachings that again are they're, they're they're so deeply intertwined so i would i would want i would want that support and protection and backing okay so that's the first thing you would uh recommend to a seeker seeking a, a teacher let's keep going i'd be interested in in the teacher's track record i would Again, none of these none of these are absolute, right? Because if Ramana Maharshi popped up in in Fairfax, California today, and wasn't based in a lineage, and I met him and felt what I felt, I might actually just choose to jump on the bandwagon. So no no set of absolute criteria, but but generally, um, and also I'd be interested in the teacher's track record. So I would like to find myself in the company of a teacher, not who hadn't made mistakes, but but who had been uh, teaching kind of reliably for for a significant period of time, and who had demonstrated through the student body the the capacity to to grow, 
strong, aware, responsible, reliable, radiant, integrated students. So, mm-hmm. so I would be looking at a track record, and one of the ways that you look at a, a teacher's track record is to look at their long-term students. And the distinction there is that you're not necessarily looking at the loudest students or the most charismatic students, right? Those are often the front men and the front women. They're the newest people, and they're, they're, they're championing the path, and they're really out there and rushing out to meet you. But you, you, you look around, and you find who's been around for 10 years, 20 years, and, and to, to survey the, the, the teacher's body of students who have been around for a long time and, and say to yourself, like, if I'm around this, this teacher for the next 10 or 20 years, would I myself... Uh, wish to emulate some some of the qualities that these long-term students have. And it's a very real criteria because because I've met a lot of teachers over the years where initially I was very attracted by the teacher's um, shakti or transmission or charisma or the excitement of their teachings and, and then a look around at the student body and, and thinking, wow, I don't want to be like that. Yeah. I don't want to be some non-dual space cadet, you know, walking around saying, like, who's the me that's having the podcast with you? And then screwing up my relationship and saying there's there's no path and psychology is, is relative. You know, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to be like that. And even as a young woman, even though I didn't have all the words and the distinctions, as, as you said to me recently, I think we can trust ourselves to some degree, especially when we know the questions. So you want to look at, at, the, at the, the teacher's body of students and, and assume that although we're all very unique in our development, that, that this is generally the flavor of, of this teacher's body of students. And for example, in, in the lineage that you practice in, right, people will say whatever they say about, about Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, but look at his flowers. Look at the, I mean, I think Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche was amazing. But look at the flowers that were grown. You know, the first mm-hmm. generation with Reggie and Judy and Pima Children and the whole gang and now your generation. How beautiful. That's something that 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 interests me. That's something that I feel comfortable when people approach me routinely and say, Well, where where can I go to check things out? There's so much corruption. I say, Go there. It's it's doing well over a long period of time. It doesn't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And things that I want to be sure to avoid. I'm I'm a pretty hardcore psychologist, and and I actually uh, believe that in the Western world, given the Western psyche, that that if there is not an element that's going to support us to integrate and work with our our trauma and psychological wounding then the path is 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 not going to is not going to probably offer me the the psycho spiritual integration that i need at the very least a teacher who's going to say like hey i've got this non dual realization i don't really get the psychological stuff but all of my students you know go go do their years of therapy with this therapist who's rooted in the spiritual path i mean i don't really know a teacher like that but i i could i could get my head around that but basically a, a path, I would avoid a path that doesn't have 
a a space and a value to to integrate the the wounding um, trauma trauma in in a very loose sense, kind of the thing that happened to all of us. And like you, I'm actually very very passionate about about the body because I think that that the integration is going to express itself through the body. So I would avoid a a, a path that that is one of my friends, Jorge, says heart chakra and above that, that doesn't take on the body in some way or doesn't, doesn't recognize the importance of, of the body and integration. I would avoid a path where you get this impression of, of kind of blind following and, and following the herd of sheep. And I would avoid a teacher who says, like, I'm, I am fully awakened and integrated and, you know, one of the great, greatest teachers of our time, maybe the greatest teacher of our time, come follow me. There, there probably is more to say about what to avoid, but I want to ask you a slightly different question, Mariana, because you've, you've mentioned now a couple of times that I work with a teacher, his name's Reggie Ray, and it's in the lineage of Chogun Trimpa Rinpoche, and interestingly, I wasn't looking for a teacher. It happened. And I know part of what you talk about in the guru question is that somebody could actually potentially approach finding a teacher in a similar way that some people approach the idea of finding a love partner or soulmate, where they, you know, make a list of all the qualities they want or don't want. And, you know, here are the 10 things I absolutely have to have. And I'm curious if finding a spiritual teacher is really anything like that, or if it's not quite a bit more, you could say, karmic or mysterious. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a great question. To which there there really are many answers. Like I was I was talking last week at CIS with Roger Walsh and Francis Vaughn, and and somebody said to Roger, you know, do you believe in destiny? And he actually he answered very beautifully, and and it was to the effect of of I'm, I'm vastly paraphrasing, but. Yes, I believe in destiny, and we must live as if we had full free will. So, so with with this question, I think that probably ultimately the teacher or teachers that we end up with in our lives are going to be the result of of karma. I mean, in a, in a real way. So, so almost no matter what you do or or don't do, if you have a strong enough link with that teacher, you will find each other. The teachers that we end up with and, and how we often found them is, is, is extraordinary, right? My teacher's ashram was in Arizona, and I met him in a little town in, in South India. And if I had been traveling in that town you know, three days earlier or one week later, my entire life and work and world wouldn't have been shifted in that way. Having said that, when when you talk about a list and like I I was sitting there before I met my teacher I was sitting there up north in Rishikesh as a 25 year old you know young woman doing pranayama at four o'clock in the morning and I I made lists I would make I would literally write out like the dating list like what you want in a man what you want in a woman what you want and and based on my disappointing experiences with teachers I was literally making lists and then I'd go to the Ganges River and I'd float them away and make a prayer and then I'd make another list and I'd make another list and 
and in fact, my my teacher ended up corresponding with most of the elements on that list. But again, the 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 question is very beautiful, and it's a deep weave. I I wouldn't have come up with that list if the karma of my life hadn't brought me, you know, to all of these neurotic shamans and you know, disappointing Buddhists and this and that. It it, it was it was the result of, of my karma interacting with my intelligence and my longing and my efforts that that brought me to my teacher. And having said that, one of my one of my close friends in, in the spiritual community that I was raised in, she like many others went following love. You know, her her partner was was a student, and they met somewhere else. And that person said, "Like I'm not budging." So she went following love, and and ended up in in a lifelong relationship with with her spiritual teacher that didn't spark right away, and she didn't want to be there. And you know, eventually over time, the relationship built. And many other people are really just going about their business, and somebody drags them to a, a whatever whatever talk or whatever retreat or they're in some kind of breakdown and someone says, hey, come with me for the day. And they say, okay, I've got nothing else to do. You know, my life's so lame. I've got nothing left to live for. And they go and, and, and they end up in the company of their teacher. So that's a really tricky one. You know, people throw around that famous phrase, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And, and <laughs> it's, it's, I, I've come to to think of that, right? It's thrown around so often, and I've come to find it quite useless. Because what what does that really mean? I mean, we we can be deeply matured, ready human being, and it is our karmic destiny such that that we actually don't need or aren't going to find ourselves in the company of a teacher for the next ten years. Or we can be ready for the teacher, but but they're not actually going to arrive at our house. We're going to be ready, and that readiness is going to take us on a very intelligent, calculated, focused search through various spiritual teachers and communities until we find the right person. It could mean so many things. I guess one of the concerns I have about somebody who is perhaps interested in finding a spiritual teacher, making a list, and sort of setting out on such a quest is that they feel somehow in charge of this process, and they might miss something that's happening that's quite magical, that looks nothing like what's on their list. It just looks very different, surprises them, but they're so busy looking at their list. Do you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying, but but isn't isn't that just how the process of life goes? I mean, how how many people have a a love story in their life? You know, where 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 there was this amazing person right in front of them all along, but they you know they were obsessed with this other person and 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 didn't see it, and by the time they saw it, either they came back or it was too late. Eh. I, I I I hear that, and I don't I don't I don't I don't feel worried in that way. I mean, that would be part of the process of discernment. Here you are, you know, looking for your list, and 
a common example. I want a woman teacher. Right? A lot of a lot of women want a woman teacher, and there's more men teachers around, male teachers around. So that would be a common example where they might end up where they might come across a really great male teacher, but they're set on finding a female teacher. So maybe they go through, you know, a few more teachers and a few more years, and they try out, you know, this witch community and this goddess community, and 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 as they're doing that, and as it's not quite landing, they become aware of this other teacher that they met earlier in their quest, and they go back. And and on on a lifelong spiritual path, you know, two years here, five years there, you know, hopefully we get to live long, healthy lives. But but that that seems part and parcel for the path. Um, another example, Yogi Ramsarat Kumar. So that was my teacher's teacher, this great saint in southern India. I mean, of of all the people I've met, interviewed, spent time with, he was the greatest person I've I've ever known. So he formally took sannyasa and took renunciation vows when he was 30. I think this was back in, I don't know, maybe 1920s, maybe 1930s. And he went on a big quest throughout India to find his teacher. So he went down south while Sri Aurobindo was still alive, and he met Sri Aurobindo. And then he met Ramana Maharshi, and then he met Swami Papa Ramdas, the three great giants in southern India. Didn't feel like he had found his teacher. Went back up north to the Himalayas for seven years. Did practice and wandering. Came back down south. Seven years later, realized that that Swami Papa Ramdas was and had been in fact his guru. And within a week, had his awakening and deepened that awakening for the next fifty years, forty years. You know, it's it's like it's if if the matter is karmic then we have to make a little more space around it. Now, interestingly, a couple of times in our conversation, there's been an analogy between the relationship between lovers and finding a lover or a soulmate and the teacher-student relationship. And I'm curious what you think about that as an analogy. Does it hold water? Uh, I, I think... I know that in, in talking about this subject over many years, I often find myself going back to that analogy. So as you ask me that question, it, it's not the same, but I, I think that there's I mean, everybody, everybody can relate to to the experience of, of well, almost everybody can relate to the experience of, of looking for a beloved in terms of the the, the personal or, or human human other. And I think that there's enough elements that are similar in terms of longing, discernment, disappointment, getting attracted by big energies, and then discovering that we actually weren't necessarily having a grounded approach and seeing the, the whole person so it's not the same, but but I think in 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 the in the essence of as as a, as below so above and as above so below that that actually there there are there are great parallels as long as we understand that that one is is more focused on the the 
the human level, and one is, is a question of the soul. What do you think? Uh, I think there are a lot of a lot a lot of parallels. When when you said that last part about the human level and the question of the soul, I had a pause because I think that in the lover relationship, the soul can also be front and center of that. It's not just human; it's also a soul development and transformation. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mariana, there's so much we could talk about about the teacher, but I want to make the move here in our conversation that you make in the book, The Guru Question, which I think is absolutely brilliant, which is you turn the question around to what makes a great student, not so much what makes a great teacher. And you call this conscious discipleship. And I I love this phrase, and I love the part of the book where you really redirect the seeker and say, what about you? What's the criteria for being a great student? And I'm going to read these off to you, but have you comment on them, if that's okay, because I thought each one of these was uh, absolutely helpful and brilliant for people. And the cover of the book is actually a mirror, where we're looking in a mirror. And I think this is the moment in the book where people really do look in the mirror, this criteria for conscious discipleship. So the first question, am I willing to commit Talk a little bit about that. What kind of commitment do you think is necessary for conscious discipleship? Okay, and, and, and before I comment on that criteria, I just want to thank you for, for making that move in our conversation. Yeah. It, when, when, when you say that, I don't know about you, but something in me just drops down. I'm relieved all over again. And I imagine that, that there's a number of people who are listening to us and hopefully reading the book and, and, and also maybe a, a bit daunted at first. But I'm so relieved, right? Like, what about us? We can talk about these gurus and their strengths and weaknesses and all the problems till the end of the day, and and it's it's still going to come come back to us. And and right, it's it's such a relief. First, it's, it may be hor- you know horrifying, but like resisting, like no, 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 and then yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like a moment in psychotherapy when it's like, oh, but but what about you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Life is going to keep happening and doing what it's going to do, but, but the common element is you, and, and, and what are you going to do about this? So, so having said that, am I ready, am I, am I willing to commit? It's a great, it's a great question. And, and as, as my example, I'll, I'll take you if I can, because and, and our, our dialogue is still fresh because it was recent, and you talked about you know, having developed this whole company and, and already putting out books and speaking and being a leader and realizing X amount of years into it, I can't remember what you said, 10, 15 years into it, that, that you hadn't actually committed to a spiritual path. Wow. Right? It, 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 it's really going to require a commitment, and it's going to require a commitment because, because it's going to be a bumpy road. And there's going to be there's going to be disillusionments as well as breakthroughs, and and we're going to have to be willing to 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 get into the into the muck and and try to walk to the other side uh, of the swamp and not just back out when things get a little bit difficult. So so a, a commitment is 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 requisite, and and the the opposite polarity would be just somebody who says, like, 
No, I just, you know, I, it would be the, the opposite of it would be just the, the endless spiritual shopping spree as a lifestyle. And if we take the value judgment out of it, it can be a really interesting lifestyle. You may have a good life and you're satisfied with the way it is and and, and you want to kind of benefit by, by gems of spiritual teachings along the way. But but in terms of am I willing to commit? Yeah, that that's a, a really clear criteria. Okay, another question here for people to ask themselves if they want to be on the path of conscious discipleship. Am I willing to overcome my childishness? And I think you mean this in particularly in relationship to a teacher. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that. I think it's a really important point, this overcoming of our childishness in relationship to teachers. Yeah, and I think the key word in that question is, am I willing to? Willing. Because because for many people, overcoming our childishness in relationship to the teacher is a very, very, very long process. So, so the willingness is actually what's going to carry us through that. So the last chapter of, of Eyes Wide Open, the, the last book I did with, with Sounds True, was called Omani Padme Grow Up. Right? And, and, and the, the mantra being, am I willing to grow up and be an adult in relationship to my teacher? And, and this, this question is, is maybe one of the, the, the largest of, of the list that you're going to read because it encompasses the whole area of our psychology. It, it encompasses the reality that, that often our attraction to a spiritual teacher is a combination of, of an essence recognition and unmet childish, childhood needs. It's a recognition that it's very easy when we join a spiritual community to fall into family patterns of being whatever kind of child we were in relationship to our parents, even the rebellious, I'm not going to listen to you, independent child, to fall into all kinds of of traps of wanting to please the teacher, get close to them, get our romantic love needs met by them, get soothed by them, run just all kinds of childish dynamics in relationship to the teacher and the community. And particularly given that the teacher may be, may be having some of those unconscious processes going on is all the more reason why we have to come as an adult. I remember when, when I met my teacher, I was, I was 25, and I felt very young, and I felt all those things like, oh, my God, I finally am home, and I'm going to be protected, and somebody sees my deep desire. And, and he said, before I was even a student, he said, look, if you become my student, I want to relate to an adult. I need an adult woman to be in relationship with me. I don't want any of these childish antics. I'm not going to fulfill them. I felt like I was barely done being a child, and I was already being called to 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 grow up. But the growing up process in relationship to a teacher, again, is 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 a long process, and it often has very many stages. So I've also seen that that there's often an inevitable stage of of the of the falling in love. And in that falling in love is a combination of, of essence connection and projection. And there, there's something very valuable about that stage. 
And after that stage, there's, there's probably going to be a fall from grace and a, and a disillusionment. And, and after that, some kind, of, some kind of integration and growing up. So that's why I said in relationship to the question, am I willing to? If I come to, to the teacher and say, yes, I'm willing to, then what, what may happen after that is, is an inevitable process of projection and disillusionment and higher integration and maybe several spirals of that process as we eventually grow up and mature and become independent on the path. It's such hard work. <laughs> I'm tired just listening to it. <laughs> what do you think might be some concrete tips for people to help them overcome their childishness? I mean, how does someone become aware, oh, I'm asking this person to be mom or dad and, and instead of seeing them as a human teacher? What are some of the moments of potential uh, wakefulness that could occur that would help someone see their childishness in this relationship with the teacher? That's a great question. Um, I think first to basically to assume that that's what we are doing initially. That would be, for me, a, a, a pointing out instruction to, to assume that, that I am doing that to assume that initially when I'm encountering my teacher that, that there is some level of strong projection, psychological projection going on. And it would be easy for many people to say, well, no, that's not true because I'm not just following them and I'm not in love with them. But, but as I pointed out earlier, you know, I was a rebel growing up, so, so it's very natural to be in a rebellious relationship with my teacher while still being engulfed in the projections so one would be to assume that, that it is happening and and from there to really start start digging and chipping away at that. Another would be when we have the feeling that we found the perfect teacher and this teacher sees all of me and I'm finally protected and and you know the journey is complete the the big the big feelings that might be paralleled in in again in in a love relationship to uh idealization and or even kind of obsession right i had some clients come in just before i had my baby and and they were having this spiritual relationship and and the guy is saying to me like we're ready to go out and and start teaching tantra like this is so amazing. We're going to be we're going to be cruising on this. Like this is never going to end. <laughs> you look at them. You know, she's freaking out because she's she's watching the, the the degree of projection. And I said, no, actually, it is going to end in this form, probably sooner than you expect. So when we find ourselves swept up, again, it, it's it it can be lovely, but but it would be another another pointing out instruction. Um. And and I think I think as we start to interact with the community, it, it's a time to look out for when we're falling into a very familial, familial, familiar and familial structures of our family. Whether we're getting some power and authority in the community, whether we're feeling like a victim, whether we're feeling not good enough. You know whether we're having some competition with our brothers and sisters for for position, and anyone who's been in a community for a long time will recognize this. This is not theory. I mean, all the examples I gave you just now, I experienced all of them. 
Yeah. And I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just working through the aspect of the relationship with the spiritual teacher and community that is the psychological labyrinth. And and one could argue that, that that's actually one of the functions and values of being with a teacher in a community because it, it will reveal all of that. It will make the space for all of that. And that the working through of, of all of that is the transformation itself. It's not the obstacle that we hit before before the transformation, but that in coming to the teacher and perceiving wholeness and and truth and transmission, we're then sh- we're then given the whole labyrinth of 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 the psyche, right, of our karma as manifest through our psyche in this lifetime to to start working it out, and that that that's fruition rather than an obstacle, but it would only be fruition if we're engaging it as consciously as we possibly, possibly can. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. It's the journey, the journey through our childishness and our projections. It's part of why we work with the teacher so it all comes up and a community, as you say, but then we move through it and we take responsibility for it as our material. And I think that's really the key for conscious discipleship is this self-responsibility that you're putting onto the student, which is what I, I love so much. And you, you offer several other criteria, but I'm just going to come to the last one here and ask you to comment on it, which is asking ourselves this question, am I ready for the responsibility of conscious discipleship? What is the responsibility of a quote-unquote conscious disciple? Well, one of the responsibilities of a conscious disciple is is to represent the path that they're a part of. And I'm not talking about becoming a teacher or even serving in a teaching function. So so every everybody who who is practicing in a path and tradition is 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 representing is representing that teaching in the path for the world. They're mediating it for the world and they're doing it they're doing it effectively or or less effectively. So I think that's that's one of the primary responsibilities of, of the conscious disciple. And and you're 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 taking the whole the whole lineage or the teachings in, in your hands and and your body and and you're saying that that you know my embrace of this and and how I'm gonna let it work through me and 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 come out of me in in the term in the expression of who I am and the service that I'm offering to the world on any level, right? Whether whether I'm I'm serving through you know working at the grocery store or through mothering my child or through school teaching or on on any level that that we're actually we're actually kind of holding the. The, the path in, in our hands and, and expressing it. And through, through our expression, we're creating spiritual culture in, in our times. We're, we're it. So, so what, what, how, we're integrate, how we're integrating and expressing and what we're doing with that in many ways is, is the future of humanity at this point. It's a huge responsibility. We're we're making our lives about accessing the the greatest transformational technologies, 
and as we mature on the path, expressing them and offering them out. And we're living in a time where, where almost nobody denies the, the intensity and, and, and critical nature of, of our moment in humanity. So, so what we're doing with it, right? We're not just doing spiritual life for ourselves anymore and to, to, to feel better and to have experiences. We, we must do it for, for the sake of, of the collective and, and healing of humanity. So we're going to want to be doing it well and avoiding the, the pitfalls and obstacles to the, the best degree that we can as efficiently as possible. And, I mean, that, that's, that's what I want to do in, in my books is, is offer any guidance. And, and it's usually guidance earned by, by making all of those mistakes myself and, and holding you know, countless clients as, as they come with their, you know, the fallen angels with, with, their, with their trail of tears of, of, of what people have gone through on, on their path toward for transformation. I want to ask you one final question, Mariana, which is I know that your teacher, Lee Lazowick, passed away only months ago, and after you'd finished writing The Guru Question, but before the book had actually come to press. And I'm curious for you the poignancy and significance of the timing of his passage, but also what it's like for you now to have your teacher no longer be in physical form and how that affects and is affecting your relationship with him. Yeah, thank you. Above all, thank you, because I I just would like to a chance to talk about him and honor him in this conversation because it's it's the context of everything that I've written. So, so my teacher Lee Lazowick died in November, and I had been with him for 16 years. I think I think this year it's 17 years. Uh, forgive me. I as we as we talk about that, I just I just get um, a wonderful flood of of his and his teacher, Yogi Ramsar Kumar's presence in the call and a tremendous amount of gratitude. So, so for me in, in my process with my teacher, I, I always knew, even from a young age, that, that there was going to be an individuation that needed to happen. I was, was, and was always and, and continue to be very independent and even though I lived in an ashram for six years and gave my life over to it, I I knew that I needed to think for myself and express through myself. And and my teacher supported me in that. So so even when I went through periods of of intense what what we would call individuation and left the ashram or decided to go for periods without doing formal practice and find my own way. I never wanted to leave my teacher. I, I had so, so much uh, love, love and gratitude for my teacher. And, and I'm very grateful because oftentimes when people are growing up on the spiritual path and want to find their own way, 
they think that they have to leave the teacher, or people often refer to it that you can have a guru, but you have to graduate. And that graduation is somehow uh, equivocated with leaving. And and I, I, I understand that because I, I came across a number of moments in my past where I really wanted to move from my own inner authority and and live my own you know, glory and weaknesses. And when I thought, when I would arrive in these moments and felt like that would mean that I, I was leaving, I, I never wanted to leave. I loved my teacher. Why would I possibly not want to be in relationship with with the the most helpful, inspiring, foundational human being that that I had known in my whole adult life. So so for me one of the great gifts of, of my whole life with Lee was that he, he continued to support my individuation and independence. And where I'm going with all of this is that that it was such that, that by the time that he died I was living independently enough while inspired by him and connected to the lineage that that I suffered his death and missing him but I didn't I didn't have to do an, a whole individuation process that's often required when people are are in a long-term relationship with a guru and and having not learned to function from their inner authority so so in many ways it it felt like a very clean process for me. My mother, for example, died when I was very young, and there was there was things that were incomplete so so as I experienced my teacher's death and the the cleanness of it and the the simplicity of it in certain ways i I see that that oftentimes when when we're grieving a loss oftentimes we're 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 working through. Un, unfinished complexity, incomplete psychology, and and I'm I'm so grateful. Like I I felt um, very full and complete in relationship to my teacher. I'm I'm so glad and grateful to life that he died at a time when I felt like I was functioning from wholeness and, and independence. So so therefore, as I move into my life, it's it's um, sometimes shaky. Because when your teacher's no longer there, when the really big questions and really big moments arise in your life where you really want to go to the person that you think has your back more than anyone else in the whole world and who you ultimately trust more than anybody, they're not there. And you're turned back against yourself. So so I've had a couple of those moments and they've been sobering and startling and scary. And... And part of the passage of the teacher is is for in in any tradition is as the disciple has to then uh, take into themselves as as much as much of the knowledge and the gifts as they're able to and and go forward with with confidence and and trust so 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 that's my effort and and you know when I was much more in, in a, a different kind of attachment in relationship to my teacher. I often used to ponder, you know, what would happen if my teacher died and what teacher would I go to and who would guide me, who would who would hold my hand and 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 I'm in a moment 
which may change in five or ten years where I where I don't where I don't feel that need. I'm I I want to assume the last question that we talked about in the criteria, I want to assume the responsibility for being a conscious disciple and and sharing the gifts that, that I was given in, in the in the most effective way possible. And I've along the way have have many spiritual friends, you know, many of which are teachers and peers. It's all quite mixed in my perception. Many of my peers are teachers and, and I have many spiritual friends who, who I'll continue to access for guidance. But but as we've said from the beginning, each path is so unique. So if, if there's a moment that arises in, in my journey where I I feel that I, I must again go into deeper relationship with with a teacher or a tradition in order to to further the next piece of, of of my evolution and transformation, I would gladly do so. Do you feel Lee's presence in a different kind of way now that he's left his physical body? It's interesting, Tammy, that all the teachings say that 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 we should or that that's what happens. Right? I've I've tracked those teachings and there's this big thing that's supposed to happen and then the teachers felt not only in the person but everywhere and you, know, you and I at least are familiar with those teachings and we're sharing them on this. That's where my question right. comes from, of course, yeah. And and in this particular case, my teacher, his his guru, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, who he always mediated us back to, was a an enormously vast presence. And uh in in our you know, in, in yours and my friendship and the and the space of honesty that is like the hallmark of, of all of our work together. Yes. I, I, I actually have to say no. No, that's not my experience. And it's not because I, I don't feel his presence strongly, but I always have. I always have. It's 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 this it's this presence, his and Yogi Ramsar Kumar's that, that is completely inseparable from from my perception of life. I mean, there's not a day that goes by where where they're not totally interwoven in my life, even if it doesn't emerge as a conscious thought. So it's it's not hugely different. I just miss him. I, mi- I miss being able to go and visit him and host him and take a trip with him and introduce my baby to him. I just miss him. But... But, but it's not all that different to me energetically. You know, there was a moment, and I know we're getting to the end of our conversation, but there was a moment that I remember as we're talking when I left the ashram for the first time. I would have these big, big departures from the ashram <laughs> in my little cosmic drama. And I went, I was off in India traveling on my own for the first time after six years of, of, sequestered life and I was hanging out with Israelis while I was traveling in India and the Israelis are always asking the you know the hard questions and I was always talking about my teacher and 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 a couple of of friends that I had made along the way said you know if 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 your relationship with with your teacher is is really that strong you should be able to throw the teacher out of your body and 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 still like still, like land in yourself. 
so I, I went. I was about 30, and I went. I was in the Ganges River in Varanasi, and I planned this whole ritual, and I, I went down and, and, and did my meditation and attempted to kind of throw my teacher out of my body. I don't know. I was just moved to do this. And I made a big effort to do it, and nothing happened. So I, I collected my resources again, and then I attempted to throw my teacher out of my body, and it didn't work. And, and then I sat there and, and realized that, that he was a part of me. We, we were woven. I had, I had entered the, the, the lineage and accepted the transmission for whatever known and unknown variables that entailed and, and that we were already woven. And, and, and it's a great question because many people, even in my lineage, you know, the, the Sangha brothers and sisters that I was raised with by my teacher would think that I had, that I had left or I had gone astray because I've always done my own thing for the past several years. But, but my Lee always knew that it wasn't true. I, I've, I've always been completely interwoven with him and, and Yogi Ramstra Kumar. And, and that doesn't mean that there's not, you know, huge amounts of development and integration and deepening that, that remain for me for the rest of my life. But, but besides missing him, it's, yeah, I, I love the question because I can share honestly with you as my friend. It's, it's just how it is. And for me, it's, it's, it's somewhat seamless. Mm-hmm. Except that I don't get the beautiful, you know, wonderful company of hanging out with the like greatest, most beautiful, compassionate, you know, brother, father, friend, guru that that I had for all those years. Mm-hmm. And at this part of the journey, right, all of those questions about the projections and they all they all have a higher integration. He was my guru. And he was my father, and he was my friend. And he was my beloved, even if he wasn't my lover. He was all those things. And, and, and there were years in which that was a, a neurotic, undigested psychological element, but, but each has its, its, its higher integration, just like you were saying with, with a personal beloved. We're, we're so fortunate for these teachers. We're so fortunate that that you know whether we choose to partake of them in a long-term relationship or not we're so fortunate that these teachers are here with us and whether our listeners feel allergic to the idea of having a spiritual teacher or feel inexplicably drawn like a moth to a flame wherever you are mariana kaplan's new book the guru question i think is a mirror you can look in a mirror that will force you to ask all kinds of questions about yourself as a person on the path and also about the whole process of finding and then working with a spiritual teacher. The subtitle of the book, The Perils and Rewards of Choosing a Spiritual Teacher. Mariana Kaplan has also recently published another book with Sounds True called Eyes Wide Open, Cultivating Discernment on the Spiritual Path. Both of these books, very valuable guides that turn you inward for your own inquiry. 
Mariana, as always, thank you so much for your honesty, straightforwardness, and your critical thinking. I really appreciate it. And your openness, your openness that whatever perspectives you may have today, new ones are, are on the way moment by moment, year by year. Thank you so much. And thank you, Tammy. As I've said always and, and still continue to feel as my new perspectives arise, I will talk to you anytime. It's such a pleasure. Wonderful. Soundstrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>